Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Good morning. I'm going to read um, from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 before Kylum comes up. Uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ, Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good, began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Awesome. You, you can keep that. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, look at that. We're, we're awake. We're alive, even with our masks. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Kylum. Um, friend, I like to call myself a bit of an extended family member of uh, Creekside, uh, a pastor church in North Lakes uh, called Life Centre Church, LCC. Uh, and we are very, very closely related with Creekside, so it's a great joy to be able to come out here at different times of the year, and uh, you guys probably don't know it, but you, some people in your church serve us, and some of us serve you guys, and then there's a lot of crossover also in the, in the school, which is great. So it's always a great privilege. Uh, my four children are here today. My wife uh, is back at our home church serving, uh, so she couldn't be here, but um, I brought the four, four little ones with me, so um, they're perfect. They don't sin. Um, that's how you know that they're mine. <laughs> Probably the, the opposite, but don't hold that against us. Um, I have the great joy of opening up this, this new series for you in the book of Philippians. Uh, this is a really, really cool book. I don't know um, sort of everybody's spiritual journey here, but just want to give you a little bit of background into uh, this book. But it's, it's a personal letter written by a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And one of the key themes throughout it is joyfulness. But when you explore the letter and you explore the context, you realize that his circumstances are anything but joyful. Uh, Paul has actually been arrested. He's been on trial in a, in a city called Caesarea for two years, and he's done a, a journey by boat over months to get to Rome, and now he's in Rome, and he's on trial there, and yet he writes this book where he's just like, happy. Paul seems to be one of those people, you know those people who are just always happy and you're like, stop smiling or I'll make you stop smiling. Why are you always so happy? This book has got so much to teach us about what it means to be joyful no matter what. In fact, when you think through the concept of joy, it's a bit of a foreign word. We prefer the word happy, do we not? Happy is a more common word that we would use in culture. But happiness in and of itself, is external and dependent upon circumstances. So when my kids are good, I'm happy. Happy wife, happy? Okay, yeah, all the women know that one. They're like, yeah, that's right. Preach. 
happiness, though, is circumstantial. It's based on when things are going well. So when we don't have to wear masks, we are happy. When we have to wear masks, we're not happy. Joyfulness, the, the concept of joy in the Bible, is not based on external circumstances. It's based on internal character. That God has given us something. Jesus even says this in his own words, that he says he wants to give Christians, give his people his joy, that his joy may be full in them. And joyfulness, as you read this book, there is so much good about this church, but there is uh, is also stuff that's going on. There is disunity. There is conflict. There is struggle. Paul himself, as we have said, is in jail. And this guy, Paul, who writes it, uh, is not a guy who's been a Christian his whole life. He was a guy who actually was a persecutor of Christians. He was this, this Jewish sort of religious elite person trying to become a Pharisee in his day, and he persecutes the church, and somewhere along the line he meets Jesus and his life completely changes. Am I ringing here a bit? And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe you think that to be a Christian you have to have everything all put together. But the story of the Bible, the story of this great God, is that you don't have to fix yourself, you don't have to do all the right things to become a Christian. In fact, Jesus does it for you and he welcomes you in. And as you meet him, he starts to give you his joy. The church, Philippi, is basically, for now, it's, it's located in the northeastern part of Greece. It was a leading city in the region of Macedonia. And Paul has got a guy named Silas and another guy named Timothy. And they are writing uh, this letter, basically, to this church that they planted many, many years ago. And they're writing back to that church to encourage them to keep their faith, to keep persevering as a church, to keep going to not quit, to not let stuff come into the church and cause splits and cause disunity within the church. Stay faithful to Jesus, follow Jesus, love Jesus, live like Jesus, and you will experience great joy. And Paul is an incredible example to us. And so what I want to start off by sort of saying is um, I want to talk about, particularly in this passage, about the concept of having joy as, an, as a community, as a church family. A cultural philosopher, his name is Zygmunt Beaumont. He, uh, he's written a lot of books around culture, community, relationships. He's quite a, a famous guy. Um, he has this concept where he, he believes there are ultimately two types of communities that exist. If you break everything down, there are really two types of communities. There are what he calls... Peg or thin communities. These are communities that are built around and unified around proximity. We go to the same school. We live in Narangba. We, we bump into each other at Woolies. Uh, we, we go you know, to these shops, we go to these cafes, and we see each other, and there's a sense of community. Or there's this sense of affinity. You like the Broncos, I like the Broncos. You go for Queensland, I go for Queensland. You, you vote Labor, I vote Labor. Whatever it might be. There are these things where we align with affinities. But what he says is, when you lose the proximity or you lose the affinity, the relationship goes out the window. 
because the relationship was thin. It was only based on proximity and only based on affinity. But then he says, there are, there are ethical or thick communities. And these are not based on an agreed upon affinity or proximity. They are, they are based on and you defined around personal responsibility and relationship. And I believe when you read this book, we see something of an ethical, thick community that are not just living in the same region and have proximity. They don't just vote the same way, like the same things, but there is something that is deeper. There is an intimate personal responsibility for one another that leads to incredible joy. And so Paul is this man despite his negative circumstances, is filled with joy and he wants this church to continue to experience great joy. And so I think there are five things I can see in this particular passage that I've been given this week around unity that this church has that leads to their joy. And so we're going to walk through this bit by bit, um, but I think you'll see that these things are really, really awesome and we can have them. We can be churches that are thick, that are these ethical, thick, rich, healthy, vibrant, joy-filled churches. So the number one, I think, is unity in Christ, right? So the, the letter starts with Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So the whole premise of how this letter is being written, the whole premise of the relationship is Jesus. It's not the footy team. It's not even proximity because Paul is in Rome and he's writing to a church in Upper Greece. They're not close. They don't bump into each other. They're not seeing each other on weekends. They're not going to Woolies. They're not going to Coles. They're not sending their kids to the same schools. They are... In proximity terms, they're away from each other, yet there is this sense of deep love. And that comes through Jesus. I don't know if you've realized this, but if you were to look around the room, there's lots of different people who probably wouldn't hang around each other if it wasn't for Jesus. There are people in my church who I wouldn't love if it wasn't for Jesus. But Jesus died for me and saved me and Jesus died for them and he saved them and Jesus loves them and Jesus is committed to transforming them and Jesus is always praying and interceding for them as he is me and therefore we have something that cannot break us because we are both with Jesus. And so one can be a vaccinator, one can be an anti-vaxxer, and we can say, but we are team Jesus. We live in a culture which loves to cancel each other because we have differing views, and Jesus says, put them aside, let's just be the church. Why? Because of Jesus. Even if you consider the people in this church, we don't know a lot about the people in this church, but they shouldn't be hanging together. Lydia is the first person we see in Philippi who becomes a Christian. She is a businesswoman. She deals in purple uh, cloth and she deals and has a business. But then right after her, we see that there is this demon-possessed slave girl who's being used and manipulated to make money. She becomes a Christian. 
Her past is checkered. She's not, she's not had a good upbringing. Then you get to the, the likes of the Philippian jailer who is working for the kingdom. He's working for the empire. And because some of, some of the guys, Paul and Silas, eventually sort of uh, escape prison, he gets so worried about himself that he attempts to commit suicide before Paul and Silas interrupt him. And then he becomes a Christian. In this church, we have a man named Timothy. Timothy is the guy who was born into Christianity. His grandmother was a Christian. His mother was a Christian. All he knows is Christianity, right? He's never said a swear word in his life. He's the guy, unlike the happy person, he's the guy who you just want to sin once in a while so you can feel better about yourself. It's like he's so good, so holy. He's never touched a drug. He's never had a wrong thought in his mind. He's just the most pure human being, right? That's Timothy. You're like, man, can you just be angry or something? Just treat someone bad. You know what I'm talking about? You know those people, right? It's like, man, you are so good. I feel bad just being near you. There are these people who have been born into Christianity. There's people who've got checkered past. You've got all of these different people, and here they are as one church, hanging out together in one home, Lydia's home, and they are doing life together. Why? Because they are Team Jesus. And what brings them together is not the things that they have affinities for. Not their age, not their skin colour, not their political you know, disposition, but Jesus. They don't unite around affluence. They don't unite around social class. They don't unite around intellectuality and education levels. They don't unite around common interests. They unite around Jesus. And whilst this book has a lot to say about joy... It has even more to say about Jesus. There are 104 verses in this book. 70 of them refer to Jesus. Another 38 mention God the Father, Spirit, and the Gospel. That's 108 references to God, Jesus, the Gospel in 104 verses. Paul wants people to know about Jesus because it is Jesus that brings joy. Because you can be in a pandemic, you can wear masks, you can get locked down again, you can have all these things that have been happening to us, but guess what you can't do? You cannot take Jesus away from me. And you can't take Jesus away from my brother or sister, and we will stay united. So I love this about Paul, church. What are you letting get away in, in, in the way of your relationships as a church family? What, what, do, what do we divide on? What do we separate on? What if we made Jesus the thing that unites us? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You think, I don't know if I could ever be a part of a church. Like, they're all amazing people. They've got all their lives together. Hang around long enough, you'll know that that's not true. But also the church is supposed to look like this abstract, unusual community because the world can't understand why do you hang around with those people because the world likes to sort of separate itself and segregate itself and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And we go, Jesus. If God the Father can welcome me into his family, I can welcome anyone into my home. Amen? Number two, there's unity in thought and prayer. So he goes on to say, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Now remember, he's in jail. He's not just wearing a mask, he's wearing chains. And he's filled with joy as he thinks of people. Man, it's challenging. I have so much to complain about in this life, right? The weather's cold, it's four degrees, it's windy, there's masks, my children don't do what they're told. There's so many things. And Paul's like, ah, oh, we could spend our lives focusing on all of those things, or we could focus on the things that is good. And we can pray. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you because I'm committed to you relationally. This is something that is thick. We are a spiritual family. Your well-being is my concern, even when I'm going through the tough times. Paul is experiencing difficulty where he's at, but he also, experiencing, he also experienced difficulty when he went to this place called Philippi. Again, if you, if you have a Bible, go to Acts 16 and look at how this church started. <laughs> it's horrible. He goes into the city. There aren't any Christians. He finds a woman down near a lake. She gets converted. Then, like we said, he goes out into the street, starts telling more people about Jesus. There's this demon-possessed girl. It literally, it says that she's so annoying to him because she's just following them everywhere they go and interrupting what they're doing. That he's like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to cast a demon out of her. So he casts a demon out of her. Her business owners, who can't make like money off her anymore because she can't fortune tell, then get really angry. They then get beaten in the streets and put in jail. When I think of you, Philippi, I'm excited. It's like, man, the memories were bad. Yes, there was tough times, but he's also focusing on what God did in that church. That there is now a faith community in this city, this important city in the metropolitan area. And there are Christians, there are people coming to faith. And he is so excited for what God is doing. He is not blind to the flaws. He's not blind to the sinfulness and the hardships that's going on in the church. He is thinking about the best things and praying for the best. Often in our church, we will have conflict. That happens when you get like two people, right? There's going to be conflict. Wow, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, and we've got troubles. Wow. And often when people come to us and we'll talk about uh, the difficulties, they'll often say, well, what are, you, what are you going to be doing about such and such in their behavior? And I'll often say, I'm going to do the exact same thing that I'm going to do with you. We're going to return in two weeks and have another conversation. But between those two weeks, I want you to pray for that person five minutes every single day for 14 days. Then come back, and now let's have a different discussion about the conflict. I do that because it's really, really hard to harbor something against someone when you genuinely pray for their well-being every single day. That's why Jesus said we should pray for our enemies. Why? Because when you pray for someone, your heart moves towards them. He is praying for these people because they are in his heart. Question, Creekside. How much time of your weekly schedule do you give praying for each other? Who's on your prayer list that you think through and go, you know what, I'm going to give five minutes today to pray for such and such. Even if it's not about conflict, but it's just, I'm just going to pray for them. 
Can I encourage you? Make some time every single week to pray for this wonderful church. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will start to love this church more than what you even do now because your heart will go towards it. Paul is praying for this church. Paul is thinking of the good things about this church. Number three, there's unity in mission. This point's just for Tony. <clears throat> some of you get that joke, some of you don't. That's okay. <laughs> he says, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul, at one point, his whole life was about Paul. You're going to see this in chapter 3. He spent his whole life, so Paul the Apostle could probably quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, a bunch of Psalms, a bunch of Proverbs, and a bunch of prophets, word for word. So invested was he in becoming a Jewish, pharisaical sort of leader, this super religious elite guy, that his whole life was about being prestigious, about people looking at him and thinking he is holier than thou. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus is taking away from him and he is not happy with Jesus, who is taking converts away from Jewish religion. He hates Christians. He is against Christ. And then he meets Christ and he falls to his knees and he says, I will serve you. He didn't realize that would mean he'd be in prison probably at the time in Rome. But here he is. Paul is all about the gospel. Verse 5, he talks about partnership in the gospel here. Verse 7, defending the gospel. Verse 12, advancing the gospel. Verse 14, proclaiming the gospel. Verse 16, defending the gospel. Verse 27, living worthy of the gospel and striving for the faith in the gospel. Paul is all about Jesus. If you're new here, Creekside is all about Jesus. Why? Because if we get everything wrong, but we get Jesus, we got everything right. Because you can have the whole world, you can have the houses, you can have the cars, you can have the relationships, you can have the career. But your soul needs Jesus. And so he is all about the gospel, but notice that he used the language of we are united. There is this partnership in this thing of the gospel. That is, as a church community, we are not just keeping this gospel for ourselves, but we are partnering in this thing so it would go out and tell every single person that Jesus is amazing. Jesus is awesome. The gospel is that God loves you so much that in your brokenness, he is committed to healing you. That in your sinfulness, He is so committed that He wants to forgive you. And you are disconnected from God. And He is so committed to you that He has done the work to bring you back to God the Father so that you can know, walk, love, and be transformed by God. And this church... It's all about this gospel, and they're partnering in this together. They haven't said that this is just for Paul, or this is just for Timothy, or you're going to see another guy by the name of Epaphras. It's not just for Epaphras. This is an us thing. 
We are all playing a part. We are all uniting around this mission of making Jesus known to the world. And so he is celebrating this church as being a church that participates, partners, unifies, works together and takes that responsibility as an entire community. This is an ethical, thick community. The relationship between Paul and this church is deep. You can't separate his love for the church and their love for him because they are working together on the same mission to see this gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. And do you know what? This is a weird thought. Creekside Community Church may not be here if it wasn't for these few people, this small church who committed to seeing this spread in this particular area. And these men and these women have had their lives transformed by Jesus, and they are now cooperating, contributing to, playing a role, carrying a sense of responsibility to see this gospel message of Jesus advance. I'm often asked the question like, how do you stay hot? Like, how do you stay on fire for Jesus? It's kind of like a Christianese question. Like, I don't really know. I just like, you know, burn fires and sit around it. And it's like, oh, I'm hot. Um, what they're saying is, how do you stay alive for Jesus? How do, you, how do you still love the church and love Jesus and all that sort of stuff? And I said, the greatest thing you can do if you want to feel alive for Jesus is get on mission. It's to actually give yourself away like Jesus so that others would meet him. I got to have a, conv- a coffee with a guy in our church who was not a Christian just two weeks ago. And we sat at a table, we had a coffee, 40-minute conversation, not a Christian, coming to our church every week, explained the gospel to him. He didn't become a Christian. I came home the most alive I've been in weeks. Nothing happened, nothing magically happened. It was just this moment of like, I know he doesn't know Jesus, but I also know Jesus is going to get him. Because it's there, it's happening, it's working. And I was so excited that here is a man who doesn't yet know Jesus, but he's in our church every week hearing about Jesus. People are inviting him into their homes. And one day he's going to follow Jesus and have his life transformed by Jesus. Does anyone here participate in the 2011 floods, Brisbane floods? We spent, our church went down, we spent like basically four days just cleaning houses and serving. And there wasn't a single miserable person. They were doing some of the most miserable work. We were, we were scrubbing walls to get all the mud off walls. We had people living in, in their vans and sleeping in their vans so they could just stay there all week. Do you know why? Because they were loving and serving people and that's what makes the human soul alive. I can encourage you, get on mission. Find ways to love and serve people. Number four, unity in heart. He goes on and says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all affection of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.1 speaks of this participation in the Spirit. It's the same word for partnershiping in the gospel, participation in the Spirit. One commentator, it says this, it says, As birds have their habitat in the air, 
and fish have their habitat in the sea, so Christians have their habitat in the Spirit because we share in a participation in the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a, a, a bit of a weird part of the gospel truth, but the gospel truth is not only that Jesus died for you and then rose again to new life, but that he also gives you his spirit. And we share in that. The church shares in that. I have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's working in us and we can unify together in this. And lastly, there is this unity in growth. Verse 9, it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As I said earlier, I'm a parent of four children. The most joyful moments of being a parent actually have nothing to do with me, but my kids. The first word they said, the first step they take, when they go to kindy or prep for the first time, these moments in their lives which for some reason enlight our hearts and lift us up and we become so joyful and so proud. Why? Because they're growing. They're maturing. They're they're moving forward in their lives. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, I know there's stuff going on in the church. I know that we're not perfect. However, I see progress. I see change. Can I encourage you, when somebody messes up and falls down in this church and they'll say something along the lines of, like, I just can't do it because I'm not there, pick them up and remind them and say, yeah, you may not be there where you want to be, but you're not there where you used to be. You've grown. You've taken steps. You're far kinder. You're far more patient. You never used to do this. Now you do. We had a lady in our life group just a few weeks ago do this where she, she came out and she was just so discouraged in her faith. And I watched as our life group, one person after another just said, we've known you for two years. You used to be like this. You're not that. You used to be there. Now you're here. Yes, you're not where you want to be, where you should be, but you're not where you once used to be. And that we rejoice in. That fills us with joy. What if we could look at Not just where God is taking us, but where God has taken us from. And let that empower us and fill us with joy that we can trust, like Paul said here, that he's going to bring it to completion, that he will get us there. So maybe you swear a little bit less. You should celebrate that. Maybe you smoke a little less, drink a little less. Maybe you're more patient more kind, maybe you think of others more. Celebrate the growth that God has, not just in numbers, but in individuals. And this is what Paul is saying. He is celebrating that you are growing in love. You are growing in knowledge and discernment. You are growing in holiness and righteousness, and nothing beats transformation. We will celebrate together. Is this not good news? This is good news. So Paul says, hey, church, you want to be a joyful church? Unite around Christ. 
Make him your centre. Make him your focus. Unite around the mission of seeing others come to faith. Unite around growth and maturity in people. And you will experience great joy because your focus will be on all of the things that God is doing in your midst. And Creekside, God is in your midst doing incredible things. So let's rejoice and let's sing and let's celebrate. Amen? Amen. Amen. As the band come up, let me pray. God, we are so grateful and so thankful for all that you do. God, we're grateful for all that you have done in the past, that you died on a cross for our sins, you rose again to new life, you've given us your spirit, you adopted us into your church family. But Lord, you are still at work in us. Lord, I pray for this wonderful church. Would you continue to unite them together, Father? Unite them around you. Unite them around your mission to make you glorious in this world. God, help them to see one another and encourage one another and think the best about one another and pray for one another. And Lord, to encourage each other with words when, when we're down or when we're falling short. Excuse me. That we'd speak encouraging words to one another and say, hey, keep going. Keep following Jesus. Lord, for those of us that are in the room that are not yet Christians, help us to believe. For those of us who are doubting Christians, help us to believe. Jesus, help this church to make it be all about you and to celebrate all that you do. We pray this in your wonderful name. Everybody said...